0: Welcome to DTC Pod, where we take you behind the wheel with the best founders and operators of consumer brands. You'll learn the ins and outs of business from setting up shop, hitting your first million, scaling past eight figures, and even navigating an exit. As founders ourselves, our goal is to help you learn from the best as you build. Visit us at DTCpod.com to sign up for our weekly newsletter, join our founder community, and find additional resources from every episode. DTC Pod is brought to you by Trend, the creative solution for your brand. Go to Trend.io to access thousands of creators for content needs such as product photography, unboxing videos, or even TikTok and IG Organic Creative. Use the code DTCpod10 for 10% off your next content purchase. As a DTC brand, you need real-time financial visibility to save money and make better decisions. Waiting for books from slow and expensive bookkeepers that don't get e-commerce is slowing you down. Trusted by hundreds of brands, Final Loop is a real-time accounting service built by D2C founders for D2C founders. Try Final Loop completely free, no credit card required. Just visit finalloop.com slash D2CPod and get 14 days free and a two-month P&L within 24 hours with all the e data and breakdowns you need to crush it. What's up, DTC Pod? Today, we're joined by Scout Brisson, who is the CEO of Deswa. So, Scout, I'll let you kick us off. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself as well as what you guys are building at Deswa? Thank
1: you. Excited to be on. Um, so, Deswa, I'll just give you the one-liner there. It's a line of non-alcoholic sparkling aperitifs, so really meant to be something if you're feeling like a cocktail or a glass of wine, but you don't really want the alcohol, it's a sophisticated and delicious alternative. Um, it was co-founded by Katy Perry and Morgan McLaughlin, who I had the pleasure to join um, full-time right before we launched, but I had spent time certainly in consumer packaged goods before joining Dissois. Um, I had started my own brand, um, also kind of in the functional food and beverage space and had prior to that come out of the venture and consulting worlds um so was at a consumer fund m13 helping launch you know businesses really from from zero and scaling them to the kind of zero to one stage um and had previously before that kind of been more corporate at mckinsey so have made my way over time you know really getting to i think kind of the really bread and butter of what I enjoy, which is the early stage um, kind of crazy stuff for the crazy people. <laughs> so that's what, you know, that's what we've been in for the last 15 months since we we launched Dessois and we're, we're having a lot of fun.
0: Awesome. And yeah, I'm really excited to get into Dessois, how you guys launch, where you guys are at now, but would love to go back uh, a little bit further. You said you have a background in consulting as well as having started your own brand. So why don't you just tell us a little bit more What were you focused on in the consulting world? And then, you know, tell us a little bit about the first brand you started before you found yourself in the CEO role at DeSue.
1: Yeah, so at McKinsey, I was, I mean, very much a generalist, but I found myself drawn towards um, certainly consumer projects. Um, I mean, before I got there, I feel like I touched everything from as, you know, kind of mundane as semiconductors and learning what that world looks like, as sexy as the e-commerce world that we're now in, did everything from gosh like indirect procurement cost cutting to strategy and growth and I just got really excited about the spaces where you were touching that consumer experience um, also funnily enough I think I had a lot of interest in the entertainment space um, and had some some client work that I did there so I'd say for me a lot of that period of time was just kind of the like self-development and coming out of it I, d- I did my undergrad at MIT which is a very technical education and coming out of that world of like everything's black and white you know hypothesis driven um data grounded to like this interesting world of you know business decisions that are made in ambiguity um and knew that i wanted to to do something that was even more entrepreneurial um which is really how i ended up at, at m13 and in the venture world after that but um kind of fast forwarding uh when i was coming, you know, in the kind of early days of, I would say, operating and, you know, working on the concept of uh, dough, which is a cookie dough enhanced with adaptogens. Um, It was really a a lot of passion for for me around kind of, I would say, better for you products and knowing that it's a very similar ethos to DeSois, but knowing that you want something that feels really indulgent in the moment, but you're pairing this inner and outer wisdom of okay i want something that tastes really good uh hits that sweet tooth feels very satisfying um but is also going to make me feel physically well afterwards and so you know that was very much the experience of like bootstrapped commercial kitchen making it in your kitchen like doing all of that hard labor <laughs> manual labor um before scaling it and again kind of just really got me excited i think about those early days when you're finding product market fit and you're hearing what your first consumers have to say about a product and definitely got a little bit addicted and i think that's what was so exciting to me when you know after moving on from that when i when i met katie and morgan and learned about what they were doing i was like okay yeah i I really like this you know like get the rocket ship off the ground um and and be a part of the earliest decisions that have the most impact
0: so why don't you take us back to kind of the origin of Dessois as a company, right? So um, clearly, Katie is one of the like preeminent talents. Everyone in the world knows who she is. Um, she's launching her own brand. But why don't you take us a little bit back to not only the brand genesis, but how it all came together, how the team came together, how you got involved, uh, the whole story behind that.
1: Yeah, so I'll start with Morgan's background. She's a master distiller uh, and she's been creating products in the beverage alcohol space for most of her career. So she got really excited looking at the early days of non-alc and seeing, I think, two things simultaneously. One is I I always look at the category kind of broken up and non-alc beer is absolutely a leader um, and a driver of growth in the space. So she's looking at non-alc beer, um, you know, that's certainly speaking to kind of this male consumer and ready to drink experience on the other end of the spectrum you're seeing brands like seed lip and liars and ritual that are spirit proxies right so it's meant to mimic the taste of alcohol and started thinking like what's the option that's ready to drink so you don't have that additional education hurdle of how do i mix and make a cocktail at home um that also speaks to the female consumer and i think really logically you know your, your mind goes to that wine use case occasion and when she first met Katie and they were introduced um, by a mutual friend, this was early 2020, they were both pregnant. So obviously in this life stage where, pregnant for the first time too. So, you know, huge careers, about to become moms, couldn't drink alcohol, knew that balance was going to be a really important part of their lives, kind of coming out of it. And I would say, you know, it's a tangent for Katie, but wellness has, has been something that's really important to her. I mean, she's, you know, involved in very very involved with Bragg's um, apple cider vinegar she's made investments in the space um, she talks about it a lot in terms of kind of what it looks like to be where she is in her music career and and making that all work so um, got super excited about the space and they ultimately came up with this concept before Deswa had a name or a brand or formula that was going to be very complex very nuanced original liquid um, so as opposed to trying to tastes exactly like a wine, uh, wanted to really stand on its own and is really, you know, aperitif inspired in its flavor profile. So they're in our first three SKUs. It's a varying degree, but a lot of kind of the, the traditional bitter notes of an aperitif that really show up. So they hit it off right away, um, started working on, on the business, worked on it for the better part of 18 months um, before I came into the picture. And at that point they had a formula they had a brand they had you know supply chain set up website work done uh all of uh, really the building blocks and there was admittedly some kind of pandemic supply chain craziness that had had delayed the launch for some time but i think looking back like and everything's 2020 in hindsight like it was the perfect time for us to launch because they're You know, I I rattled off, you know, names of some other brands that have come before us, but I think there had been a lot of just momentum building and building and building, and it was a great time for, you know, this team and this product to launch. So they were really looking for someone to come in, kind of be full-time dedicated to and, and quarterbacking the brand. And so I came on initially as general manager in the fall of 2021. We launched in January 2022. I moved into the CEO role um, last summer and, you know, we, I'm sure we'll talk a lot about kind of like what our focus has been on the business, but, you know, really the, the mission for Deswa here is about this celebratory drink that we've created and, and sharing this message. I think about, it's about optionality. It's about inclusivity. It's about having something on the table for whether you're taking the night off from drinking or you're, you know, taking three months off from drinking, like there just should be something for everybody there.
0: Yeah, I think there's so much to talk about here. Um, one of the first things I want to talk about, just from a, a cultural sort of perspective, because I know like non alcoholic as a category is like blowing up. So your guys' timing is obviously awesome. But what can you just tell us about the category as a whole? Like, what gets you guys excited about it? Not just because it's a product that you guys might love yourself, but in terms of the broader themes about what non alc represents and where this is going like what are some of the undercurrents in society that are leading us here
1: health and wellness a million percent health and wellness i mean that's something right that we've seen is is not a fad it's a it it is a lasting trend that is driving consumer behavior and has been right for some time and i always look at alcohol let's call it or the alcohol alternative space as this is the last unturned stone right our consumers have uh, you know, they've gone to almond milk and and then to oat milk and then back to dairy milk, right? Like they're looking at all of these these decisions across the board um, of things that they're consuming or that they're buying. And they're saying, what what is the better option? And so when you look at, you know, people talk a lot about, at least in my bubble, right, that Gen Z is a generation that just drinks so differently than even millennials or, you know, our parents' generations. But I would say millennials and Gen Z are driving this trend of people just drinking less and less every year. And you've got, you know, I think the biggest moment is um, dry January. And that's a time of year when, of course, people are really focused, again, health and wellness kind of reset, you know, looking at this whole idea of sober curiosity, which is, I think, also redefining this kind of taboo conversation around not drinking and, like, what does it mean to be you know capital s sober like it's it's not like that anymore and i think that will continue to evolve as well so a lot of really exciting i think just open vulnerable conversations that are happening around um again like what's i feel like i'm still going through this all the time but like what's my relationship with alcohol like am i drinking i mean certainly during the pandemic right it's like am i drinking all the time because it's you know, the marker at the end of my day or because I don't have other things to do or because, like, I actually want to have this glass of wine. And so I think there's a lot of really exciting just conversational. um, I mean, even at times, vilification of alcohol, which, again, like, I believe there's a place here, but, like, that's happening. I mean, there's a big Andrew Huberman podcast that came out um, not so long ago that, caught people's attention and Mark Andreessen you know included that in his substack and his relationship with alcohol so just a lot of really I think prominent conversations happening cross generationally about the consumption of alcohol and the role that it plays day to day in our lives
0: yeah I think there's two interesting points there one is uh I think f- just as a trend that I'm sort of seeing just the way in which people also engage with their work right like everyone's constantly plugged in you kind of have to be on all the time whereas you know, back at 20, 30 years ago, without like mobile, without, you know, computer everywhere you go, like, okay, you go out and drink and then you go to the office the next day. And like, that's that right. But having to be on kind of all the time from like a cognitive per- performance point of view, I think definitely impacts it. It's something I see with myself. I don't drink. I drink way less than I ever did just because I can't afford to be slow, like in the morning or even in the evening. So, um, I think that's one trend. And then also there was this kind of like interesting dichotomy where like, like you were saying, health and wellness is such a trend. Everyone are going to such extreme lengths to be health conscious, but then are like, okay, I've done all this and then let me just go binge drinking a bunch of alcohol. It just doesn't like line up. So I think at a certain point that domino starts to fall as well, where, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean alcohol is going to be eliminated by any means. It just means people are going to be more thoughtful about how and where they choose to to, to drink, right? Um, so I think that's a really cool trend to be able to tap into and ride. So the-, the...
1: I think one quick yeah, go note it. on that. No, I just, I think what's been interesting to me, if you look at kind of the biohacker lands- landscape and um, the growth of brands like Whoop and Aura Ring that are giving you access to data in a way that you didn't have it before, I think athletic brewing has a, a partnership with um, with i believe it's with whoop where they're collecting sleep data and i think that's been a big thing to your point of kind of productivity and how you think about you know how do i perform at my utmost capacity on a day-to-day basis people are just understanding that that one drink can impact your sleep super super significantly right and even if you don't wake up the next day feeling hungover there's ultimately an impact on on how you're resting and recovering in those you know eight hours hopefully <laughs> between you when you went to bed and woke up
0: yeah absolutely and and you bring up a good point with the the whole fitness tracker movement involved so people can actually see it so now it's not just I feel a certain way it's like i quantifiably am a certain way which uh definitely definitely is a big marker for it um but this kind of takes me into my next question which goes more to like brand genesis and how you guys started to build it and how you pull it off. So clearly there's an interest there. You've got a team with people who are interested in the ability to pull it off. You guys kind of come up with a recipe, but when you're building a brand with someone as big as Katy Perry, like what goes into it, right? Like how, is is it different than when you were working on your own brand for yourself? Or like, what are the differences? What did you have to prepare for from a launch perspective? How involved was Katy in the process? Why don't you just talk us through that stage of the brand?
1: Yeah, and I think, and just to kind of caveat it, a lot of that was right before I joined. So I certainly got the the spark notes and I've seen what it's looked like since. But, you know, at, at the highest level, um, I'd say Katie was very, very, very high touch. And I think that I've seen the results of that because this is her baby the same way that, you know, other, you know, the same way that's Morgan's baby, right, or any other co-founders, Um brainchild essentially so she was involved as small as a decision as you know how much black pepper flavor is there in purple loon which is one of our one of our three current flavors uh to you know what are the names of the SKUs and how does it show up on the packaging and so i think just having a lot of that role in the brand development process which was happening um, you know, kind of in-house at the time and and being very high touch meant that what was ultimately launching, you know, in those those few months when I was working on that the go-to-market strategy with the team was like, that was something that she has a, a really close affiliation and tie to. And so then everything that comes out after that, if you think about um, the assets that we use to do our brand storytelling, if you think about the content that we're putting out on social media or on TikTok or on Instagram, right? It's like, that all kind of rolls up to this this brand ethos, which for us is, you know, taking the definition of an aperitif, which traditionally is a bittersweet beverage, right, that's opening you up to a meal, is like, no, 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 De is way more about opening you up to all of life's experiences and kind of the the beauty of what, you know, restraint looks like here is what's gained in the absence of it. And that's that's really our tagline, which again, Katie was involved in selecting was, Pleasure with restraint, right? This idea of, um, you know, kind of what's what's gained here. So, I'd say that, you know, two kind of concluding thoughts would be when you're building with somebody like Katie, um, it's really it's been really important to us along the way that Desois is its own brand. It's a brand that resonates with Katie and her personal values, whether that's celebration and fun, if it's empowerment, if it's wellness, but that it also stands on its own. Um, because at the end of the day, it is de soi, right? And it it needs to be something that kind of lives and breathes. And so there's always going to be those integration of Katie's audience and her platform um, that come into our different marketing and creative kind of activation of it. But there's also going to be de only things that we're doing.
0: Absolutely. And why don't we talk a little bit through the actual, like, you know, the first chapter of the company, call it, right? Like, and what it takes to actually execute and launch when you're working with a, Uh, a talent as big as Katie so I think the fact that she's able to like get all the way into the weeds and have her fingerprints across the brand I think it's really important and makes a huge difference right because you can clearly tell a brand that's just like a facade where someone's like not really involved and someone's actually where you've got a a personality who's like a a major part of the team Um, but you know with her distribution and everyone knows who she is what doors did that open and how did you guys as a company um how are you able to deliver and fulfill on it right and i I think you know one thing i'd love to get some clarity on where it sounds like a, a great problem to have but when you're doing a launch like that right all of a sudden the scale from the beginning is so much bigger than uh a lot of early brands that might just be able to kind of go through a couple different product cycles one po Test with a couple close, you know, friends and family. Get initial customer feedback. But you know, when you're launching a brand with Katy Perry, automatically, boom, it's out there, and you've got to be ready for that sort of scale. So, what kind of preparations went into that? How did you guys prepare? How did you respond to it? And just walk us through that a little bit.
1: Yeah, I think uh, you're absolutely right. I think the, you know, having having been through two different versions of this, um, the, you know, the nature of MVP looks really different. Right. And so I always say I'm like 20, 2022 and certainly uh, the beginning of 2022 for us and our focus on D 2 C was to find product market fit. And that's really important. I think that's what obviously having that direct relationship with your customers enables you to do. But MVP was still full scale production. Right. It was like that first production run that we did was. It was at scale. It wasn't a pilot run. It wasn't some small run in somebody's kitchen. And so I think that the bar that we've just had to have as still an early stage startup has been so high that, like, you know, there's been higher cost to that, essentially higher expectations, higher cost, but also kind of higher ROI. And so you asked at the beginning, you know, what's, what are some doors that have been open? I mean, so many, right? Like, this is, this is jet fuel. Um, for a one-year-old company. And I'll, I'll start with, you know, what did it look like even preparing for that launch? I mean, we launched from a PR standpoint with an exclusive interview with Vogue. Like that doesn't happen for a lot of brand new CPG brands. And so I think just the splash that we were able to make from day one was significant enough that then you think about the follow-through. And um, we had a sales at Drink Swall email address um, that, funnily enough, we didn't have a head of sales and nobody was managing initially. And then I go into that email a few weeks after launch and I'm like, holy shit, like we have hundreds of inbound emails coming through. And it was everything from, you know, account, retail account names that are loved and known by many to, you know, small non-alc liquor shops that are popping up across the country. And so, you know, I think just it's, it's given us kind of an awareness from day one and not to say that most people know what dysphoria is right like we're still chipping away at that but i think the awareness kind of relative to our a peer set um that i think just accelerates any growth that we can achieve and then i think the the second thing there is just education is such an important part of any new category building and having a platform like Katie's um you know certainly on on you know if you look at our instagram followers it's nearly 200 million, there's a level of education that we have access to and kind of conversation that we have access to um, through that. And that's, you know, been an important kind of thesis for Katie and Morgan since day one is that that's a a role that she can play.
0: And how does she do that? Like you're saying, new category, education is really important. Yes, I have a brand. But like in her kind of not necessarily day to day, but like how does she kind of bring Dessois into her cadence of content creation or whatever it is as as we said today
1: yeah I think content creation is the right word right because I think it's show don't tell um and, uh, it, it's you know a, a good example of this would be we haven't rolled these assets out but we just did a, a big shoot in the last month um and you know the conversation that myself and our head of brand marketing we were having with Katie beforehand was like what's the goal of the shoot and we all agreed, and certainly Casey, Katie was a key voice here, of this needs to be the where and the use case and the, like, the show, right? Like, me in my kitchen, it needs to be me unwinding and having, like, a mom moment at the end of the day. Um, we've definitely gotten even kind of more UGC-style content where Katie's drinking her favorite flavor, Purple Loon, at the end of a show or before she gets on stage. And so I think it's just... There's the, there's the Katie and the music Katie, right, which is that, you know, all glammed up, ready to go. But then there's also just that I'm in my kitchen and I'm making dinner or I'm, like I said, kind of having that mom moment with her daughter. So I'd say we're we're always thinking about how we can continue to bring that to life and how, um, you know, she shows up at if it's going to be just like talking about the flavors or the pairings that you can do with the swa right? Like there's little tidbits that you can talk to, but a lot of it's just going to be imagery and kind of bringing that into the everyday.
0: Awesome. And now I want to get into some more of like the business side of things, right? So putting, you know, Katie and, and the celebrity factor aside, how are you thinking about growing the business today? Like, what are some of the channels you're focused on? Um, if you could give us kind of an overview of how you think about maybe D2C versus retail, uh yeah, why don't we start there and then we can go into some some other fun stuff.
1: Well, in in beverage, we all love the word omni channel and omni channel growth. Um I think both channels are so important to not, you know, again, I, mean, I just kind of feel like a broken record here, but like this idea of new category, new category building. Um and we were, you know, we were just chatting with one of our distributors who was like the presence on Instagram has been amazing. There's so much stuff happening, right? It's like, yeah, yeah, that stuff is really important, right? Because it it's not only going to help uh, benefit the D 2 C bottom line if an influencer is posting about it and then somebody's going and you know using their link to purchase, but it's also going to help um, you know our accounts like an airwan or a Foxtrot or a Total Wine or a Bevmo, and people are going in and they're like, oh yeah, like I have seen that person that I follow post about this, or I have seen that show up on my TikTok for you page. Um, so I'd say that really D2 C in the early days helped us gain a deep understanding of how who our consumer is, uh, how they're drinking the product, what they like or don't like about our three flavors, which, um, you know, are super unique um, and kind of each to their own. And then, as we now are, I would say, like in this kind of flywheel momentum building stage, I think wholesale has become more and more important because of how consumers ultimately just shop this product, right? They shop beverage in store. And so I'd say we're we're doing and have been doing a lot of the work of just getting doors, right? Like getting doors open, um, which, you know, we talk a lot about education, but education is not just for the consumer. Education is also for the distributor, for the retail buyer. Um, So doing that in our key markets. So that ultimately, you know, our ideal scenario here is that every account you can think of has a four foot set of non-alcoholic beverages. And it can be everything from, again, like a de to a ritual or-, ritual or a liar showing up on that shelf. So um, really leveraging D2C to help kind of capture some of that customer base in store as we're really proving out to retailers as, again, many early-stage CPG brands are doing. They're proving themselves out, but we're also proving out the category.
0: So why don't you tell us a little bit about the category in the sense that, um, like you were saying, if you're selling tequila, for example, there's like a defined shelf space for tequila and you know you know who you're competing with. What does that look like when you're trying to get into retail, right? Do, uh, do retailers have specific shelf space set aside for non-alcoholic, like, where do you guys sit? Are you like in the soda section? Are you in the like next to the alcohol section, in the mixer section? Like, Where do you guys show up physically in retail?
1: It totally depends. Um, and it's a conversation we're having with everybody right now. So I'll give you um, the range, right? I think Air One is a good example where we've got our single cans and our four packs of cans merchandised in their cold case really close to their functional set. That's a great place because there's a ton of visibility but there's also you know this differentiation that we're we're also trying to create between a de and a functional soda um, because they are just very different from a taste and and ultimately kind of product positioning so i'd say in general we're really looking to be in that wine and spirit set um and those are you know if i had to kind of draw a circle around it i'd say the majority of the folks that we work with um are in that sphere, you know, whether it's distributors or retail buyers, other exceptions to that, like we've seen, you know, wellness buyers that accounts be really, really excited about this category. We've seen accounts that are extremely wellness focused come look at this category. We wouldn't have expected it. And so I think generally we try to be very flexible and just know that like a foot in the door is an amazing place to start and that this is all going to happen over time. Um, so I'd say that today in most places, the set's not there yet. But that those conversations are actively happening. And I think what we're going to see certainly later this year and definitely by next year, those really starting to emerge.
0: What other creative uh, places do you look for for distribution, right? Like, are you guys doing anything with restaurants, with events? Like, how do you get your product out there in front of people?
1: Liquid to lips is so important and I'm glad you brought it up. Um, I'd say building Building in that on-premise, so restaurant, bar, hotel occasion is an amazing way to build brand awareness, to build trial and discovery and and you know help kind of penetrate that marketing rule of seven, right? Where somebody's seeing something seven times before they purchase. Um, it is also transparently a very expensive and <clears throat> tedious way to build a brand. And seed um, lip is usually, you know if I'm going to see a brand on a menu, that's usually the brand that I see. And if you think about their history i mean Diageo acquired seed lip in 2019 and has plugged them i'm sure into their distribution network and so that's why we're seeing in a lot of menus so definitely part of the strategy it's just slow going and so then i think the other place that we really focus where we have um, retail accounts starting to open up more and more would be the events and the liquids to lip liquid to lips and the demoing in stores um, so i think these are all really great touch points just to build a ton of awareness around it. And I think as, you know, as our brand evolves as well, we really are partnering with our distributors to help capture a lot of those restaurants, bars, and hotels. Um, but it 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 is cost intensive and resource intensive for, you know, a seed stage business.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So how do you decide where and how and which <laughs> ones to do? Because that's I think that's a really good point, right? Like as and and I've talked to a bunch of um other beverage founders as well who you know they want to get their product in front of everyone and it's like i remember even when i was in college like red bull would show up they'd literally you know be throwing these things out everywhere they even dropped a an entire pallet, like when they were trying to launch a new drink in the middle of the yard and and like everyone would go grab them but like that stuff it it has a cost right it's it has a cost to execute it has a cost on product and for a seed stage business that can't just go away drowning the world with their their beverage like how do you think about where to show up at your stage and maybe um if you could talk about any like events or any things that you guys have done in the past that have been like successful or maybe that haven't been as so, so, so successful it would be cool to hear about
1: yeah i i love the red bull example too because you know one i would say there's two big just like super broad strokes things you need to think about one is who is my consumer so if they're going after you know college aged kid male right like great yeah drop it you know drop it on canvas, drop it in front of a fraternity house and like let the product speak for itself um i think second is just geography right so if you think about for us if we're you know most of our consumers that we're speaking to are millennial women kind of generally of course it bleeds on either end but okay, if New York is a is a key market for us, right, like what's the right activation? Who's the right partner to be part of? Um, I'd say that the other thing worth considering here, and this is tends to be true of, let's call it brand marketing as a large bucket, is that you can't, you just can't measure the impact. Uh, I think there's a lot of tools and technologies out there that whether it's out of home that are, you know, advancing it, if it's QR codes, right? Like. I've had multiple of these conversations in the last those last several months, and I think that's extremely beneficial. But I also think that our team is investing in putting product, putting a brand ambassador at events and activations, not because we can measure the return, but because we know that that's honestly a tried and true strategy, tried and true strategy to get your product to people that will ultimately be your target consumer in a target market where they can go find it or see it on shelf. Um, So we've done things. I mean, I think. Right now, we um, really prioritize where we have uh, strong relationships. So, like, I think about, you know, one of our our investors reached out recently because they're going to host an an opening for one of their, they have a store and they're hosting an opening for a store. And I'm like, I love this because here's somebody who already is an ambassador of the brand and is going to treat this really well. Um, I also really love be you know bringing anytime like i'm invited to an event in la um, that's like founder cpg you know investor focused community i'm always asking to bring that that product with me to sample with people and so i think just kind of i'd say starting with places where you have really really strong people to kind of support how your brand shows up because you know your example red bull like dropping in front of the fraternity house like there's just added risk there of like whose hands is this going to land in? And I'd say early days kind of presentation of product. And again, that kind of education component about it is really, really important.
0: No, absolutely. And and just digging in there a little bit. Um, so you said you guys would have uh, kind of like brand representatives to be able to show up and represent the brand. So how do you guys manage that who qualifies for you guys as someone who's like a brand rep how many like how do you guys think about that and being able to show up physically
1: yeah so we um I'd say probably like 80% of the time right now it's it's physically someone from our team um if it's in LA so again kind of like early stage we're seven full-time people and like it's gonna be me or it's gonna be Haley, who leads brand, or Sammy who leads e-com, actually showing up at an event. Um, and then I think the other people that we we've had a lot of luck with is actually starting with um folks that kind of specialize in in demoing. So just give to give you a great example, but like our head of sales was doing a demo himself at an Erewhon saw another demo person at the table next to him absolutely crushing the sales uh, for the brand that he was wrapping, And You know, Ryan just goes over to him and starts talking to him and he's like, oh, do you want to do to Swan? This guy is just a monster when it comes to like selling through anything. And so now we've gone to him and he's gone and done events for us. And like he's not only doing the demos at Total Wine and Erewhon, but he's repping it at there was like an Expo West party that he was representing the brand. So I think just finding people that really know how to sell and represent your brand are often the best candidates. And it ends up being kind of patchwork but for us i think doing that before we go to like big agency where things are a little bit more impersonal we've just found this to be more effective and i think as we as we grow and it becomes more relevant you know i see adding that way as well where you can find just even members from our community right like if it's putting out feelers on instagram um or it's looking at kind of like customer base in new york and like who are our subscribers like are there people here sending out a like if you want to rep our brand, here's how you can be a part of it. Um, so I think we'll we'll continue to be scrappy there and just how we think about the best brand ambassadors.
0: Another thing that you just mentioned uh, about how it's your actual internal team doing everything. I think that's really important, especially for a, a brand like this, because when you're trying to show up personally as a brand and you're trying to grow and get all those learnings, I think traditionally a lot of um, you know, celebrity lines, one, the, the talent themselves wasn't as involved in the process, right? And then two, like you were saying, you would layer in agency and all these other kind of factors on top of it. And then it becomes a really impersonal experience. So I think what you guys, what I'm hearing from how you guys are approaching this is not only do you have a talent that's like actually involved in the, the brand, but then you actually have a team who's running that and is actually there. On the front lines of the business as well and that makes a really big difference as you um as you build out a business like you're saying you guys are prepared to scale you're ready to do that but you're not willing to sacrifice all the learnings and the and going through building a business like a real kind of sustainable way so off that i'd love to kind of talk a little bit more about what your role is now like what you really focus on what your day-to-day is like Um, yeah, what keeps you up at night as you think about the business and, and what some of the exciting areas and projects that you've been working on?
1: Oh my God. That was like six questions in one. Okay. (laughs) What my role is. Um, I think it, I mean, gosh, it really changes all the time based on what the business needs. Um, I would say that, you know, first and foremost, when I, when I think about kind of a unique areas that I focus on you know investor relations and fundraising is a major one and so if you know if we're fundraising uh then that's where I try to put you know as much of my attention as I can because it is the one thing that I'm doing that nobody else on the team is going to do um so I think there's there's a little bit of that um and then outside of it it's kind of like I think about strategy as another big bucket and the you know, ultimately, what, what matters here is that I'm building Deswa in the way that reaps the most potential in this current environment. And I think that's really important to say because there's so much conversation. I just got to, you know, multiple quarterly kind of update emails from VC firms recently talking about, you know, how crazy the last quarter has been. And honestly, like, I think the, the quarter before that was even crazier. It's like these, this the world right now is kind of in this shift in the economy. Nobody knows like what's happening and what it's going to mean. And so making sure that ultimately Deswa is going to get multiple bites at the apple, right, at the end of the day is really, really important. And then, you know, I feel super fortunate that I've got a team covering, you know, let's call it kind of all key functional bases for Deswa. And so a lot of my day-to-day is, where can I add the most value? So you know, right now we're gearing up for some exciting things coming this summer. And I spend a lot of my time with the marketing team thinking through what that go to market looks like. I spend a lot of time with our head of sales and our chief operating officer thinking about what our wholesale build looks like and how do we move the needle on our existing accounts and on new accounts. Spent a ton of time thinking about okay like you know places that you know we we started our conversation talking about katie but it's like where are the ways for me not just with katie but like any of our investors or our board like how can we leverage them to really add value um as we're we're trying to achieve all of our ambitious goals so i'd say it's a it's a little bit of anywhere and a lot of everywhere and the thing that i've learned the most has been when i'm fully stepping in and owning something and owning, you know, a work stream. Like for instance, we had a kind of transition period in brand marketing and I was running brand marketing and it was kind of like, okay, like I can't run this hundred percent by myself and deliver quality results on all the other things that I need to. And so solving for and, and, and you know, hiring somebody's not always the answer, but like how am I going to solve this between something in-house or something outsourced so that I can focus kind of at a higher level on these things and roll up my sleeves when I absolutely need to. Um, so it's a little bit of just, I think, structurally setting yourself up as you know a CEO to be able to weigh in again on like, I see it kind of like strategy people and this like investor fundraising bucket.
0: No, absolutely. And one thing you mentioned about the current climate and how investors are thinking about everything, um, how, have, how have you seen it? affect the beverage space right is this something that you guys are sheltered from because you're in a massively growing category and you have like um uh, you know katie perry and and you're this amazing team behind you so you feel a bit sheltered do you feel it as well like what are you just seeing from the general landscape around um around beverage
1: definitely not sheltered i think everybody is being impacted um you know different levels perhaps at different stages um but i would say it, it has shifted from let's call it focus on hyper growth to questions like when are you projecting profitability right and I think different categories have a different time to get profitable Um, and I think beverage tends to be competitive Uh it tends to be expensive right Cause some of the overhead that we were talking about before so I think there's just a different kind of scrappiness and leanness that you know we've we've shifted our strategy as we think about growing and it honestly like a lot of it kind of comes back to the conversation we were having about on premise because you know what you can do as a beverage alcohol brand is you can hire a bunch of salespeople to be feet on the street opening up those types of onesie twosie accounts up and down uh with your distributor but frankly like those people don't pay for themselves and so you you know you're investing in that growth so that it pays off down the road I think brands just can't do that as much anymore so you're you're looking for the bigger bets you're looking for kind of like the places where you can get you know a lot more volume sold a lot faster and you're trusting in a more kind of let's call it you know if it's commission model focus or if it's more brokerage right like these are just very tactical things that we're doing so i think ultimately the conversation has just shifted a lot towards um let's call it efficient sustainable growth um, and what ultimately to make sure that you're thinking about margin, um, burn, you're thinking about growth kind of in the context of getting to break even or profitability.
0: What's the what's the biggest lesson you've had so far in terms of, you know, wearing the CEO hat at DeSois? What what have you learned that uh, that's like really stuck with you?
1: That is such a good question. Um, I think that i've spent a lot of time thinking about leadership style and how do i authentically lead as scout um, but also kind of step up as i think this is the opportunity that i've been given and i've learned that with your employees you have to be real you can't always be a cheerleader you can't be the everything's great and you know smile through it i think you have to be real with them you have to treat people like adults and you have to say this is what's going on um you know again if it's macro things going on in the environment or if it's something like silicon valley bank right like you've got to be real with people with what's going on and show them that like this is how you're going to get through it but like letting in some of that realness um so i think i've seen just such different leadership styles throughout my career of like being sheltered and having someone who, you know, kind of takes all the stress of what's going on and just like shoves it in a corner. And I think there's, you know, you don't want to cause stress, but I think you need to be totally honest and transparent with people about what's happening and then what your plan is to get through it. Because I also see that as a learning opportunity and kind of a trust building exercise that happens in the process.
0: Yeah, 100%. I think that's something that I've found as well. It's like, you know, rather than just trying to hide information and sugarcoat things. A lot of times the best way to communicate, especially with a team, is just be open and transparent. And if you can bring that attitude, then people will buy into that because they they get it, right? So not everything isn't always like a perfect rocket ship. Sometimes there's there's great days, sometimes there's not great days, but being able to be honest with yourself and your team, I, I always find is really, really important for, for anyone, but especially in 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 a startup. Um and the next question I'd have is you know, what are, what are you most excited for? Like, what's the area of the business or what is your like core focus? If you just had like one thing that you, that you're really thinking about right now for the rest of 2023, for you and Dessois, like, what is it?
1: It is more, more Dessois, more places. I mean, I think that's really like, that's the name of the game is get more, more doors open, um, and get more visibility for this brand. And I think that all of the work that we're ultimately doing to kind of back that up is is all the soft stuff right of um the soft but really important stuff don't get me wrong but like you know the storytelling and the brand building and getting product in people's hand and liquid to lips and you know getting katie out there kind of the forefront of it but at the end of the day like we need people to be able to buy just in more places um and so i'm i'm really excited about how much you know, like we talked about at the beginning of our conversation, but just how much organic growth that there is to really seize here um, for all the brands in the non-alcoholic adult beverage space. And so I think just being able to participate in that and be a leader in that is a really, really exciting opportunity that, when I think about my career, does not come around all that often. So um, I'm relishing every moment. And a lot of it is really freaking hard, as you called out, but I think just kind of, stopping to celebrate the what we're doing and the opportunities that we have uh, makes it very rewarding.
0: Absolutely. And as we wrap up here, Scout, where can our listeners find you as well as Dessois?
1: Definitely our website, drinkdessois.com or on Instagram, drinkdessois. Um, I mean, you can find me on, on LinkedIn or on Instagram, Scout Brisson but appreciate everyone taking the time to listen and you having me on for this conversation.
0: Awesome, thanks so much. We really enjoyed it. Can't wait to see you guys grow this year and we'll have to have you guys back back again soon. Thanks for tuning in and we hope you enjoyed this episode of DTC Pod. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love your support. A rating and review would go a long way as we continue to host the best builders in DTC and beyond. Follow and subscribe to the show and make sure to check out our show notes where you can find our socials and weekly newsletter. Visit us on dtcpod.com to join our founder community and access resources from every episode. We'll see you on the next pod.